Hey guys, welcome to uh, episode 3 of the Unbroken Crown. I'm so glad that you're listening, maybe for your first time, maybe for the last time, I don't know. Uh, I'm just glad that you're here. Um, we're going to be talking today uh, about um, uh, a fun topic, um, politics. Always a uh, great and easy topic to talk about, so I uh, know that you are uh, looking forward to that. Probably should explain first the uh, name of the podcast uh, the episode this week, which is called, uh, just went ahead and named it Tasty Little Death Machines. Um, not really because that's what I feel about politics, but because uh, that is a just a random thing that I found this week. Uh, if you, uh, I was looking up uh, what I remembered, a story about some uh, gummy bears that uh, if eaten in great um, number, or even sometimes small number, can call a, a, a large amount of gastric distress. And so uh, one of the reviewers on Amazon had labeled the gummy bears as tasty little death machines. And while I still think that's a great name for a band, um, it's one of the things that's uh, uh, one of the random things that I've um, thought about this week. And so it gets to be a podcast name. Um, hopefully, um, I'm going to be doing a podcast once a week for the next 52 weeks or 51 weeks or 53 weeks or that was higher 49 weeks um so that uh, we i have a year of podcast um it's for those who haven't heard or haven't read i've got a, a blog also called the unbroken ground um I've got uh, a uh, Instagram account um, that you can follow along with that. We've got a Facebook group that we're doing uh, more discussion on uh, as we talk about. Uh, uh, in February, we're actually going to start a book study on uh, Mark Buchanan's book, your church is too safe. Uh, so we're going to have like a discussion group. We're going to read a chapter every two weeks and, and just uh, open up the grounds for um, hopefully that, that unbroken ground, that middle ground of discussion. And so there's lots of stuff going on here. Uh, so if you have questions, uh, suggestions, you can always send an email to the unbroken ground at gmail.com. And uh, I will get that uh, I don't check that super regularly because uh, this podcasting thing is a hobby and not my full-time job, uh, if you can't tell. Uh, so, yeah, that is that is kind of the where we're, where we're at now. Um, and this topic is actually one of the reasons I wanted to uh, have a podcast. Uh, the, some of the, I guess, the main impetus uh, to the finding the unbroken ground to finding the middle ground to finding that place that uh christianity hasn't really lived a whole lot sometimes and uh so yeah so i'm just going to start with just kind of telling telling you my background and where i'm at and where i'm coming from and and uh, help you see kind of what i'm going to say or or why i say what i say uh we'll read some scripture and then we'll we'll talk about that so just to be uh, a little bit upfront, my I grew up in the South. I grew up in a very conservative-leaning Christian church. I grew up Southern Baptist, um, and so the and and I haven't really moved too far outside of that realm. I've I've experienced uh, some different people with different mindsets, but. Uh, as most people, um, I've generally stayed within that life. Um, I've generally stayed within those bounds of people who are generally conservative, generally uh, would fit uh, into this, to the realm of understanding and belief that a Southern Baptist Christian would. Um, so I, so that's that's when I when I think about my um, place of origin or where I come from. That's that's what I think about, and I think about. Um, 
the, when I was growing up, you know, there was some just kind of a resurgence of like uh, conservatives and and um, and kind of um, getting courted by the political machines to uh, really make a difference in in elections. Um, so in my childhood uh, and on. There was very much the, the the family values vote, the the Christian vote, the Christian right um, that existed. That was a political force that that um, politicians would kind of bow down to um, in a sense of if they wanted our if they wanted the vote, they had to say the right things on the right issues. Um, and of course, then um, there is a little bit less uh, of my background, but uh, <coughs> excuse me, moving up to. Uh, the north uh, get to experience uh, and some different things get to experience some some more liberal leaning um, which for could be just middle um, in some places but what what a very conservative person would consider that and and just kind of learning um, about that as well you know I, I one of the one of the I guess hallmarks of my conservative up, upbringing was that I um, was very skeptical of any other denomination. Um, so we didn't outright say that if you weren't a Baptist um, that you didn't have Jesus, but we kind of acted like that way. Um, we um, it was one of those things uh, when I was even when I was going to seminary. So even after I had kind of grown up and, and graduated out of um, college and things like that, and came back, I was working with uh, a pastor and and. Uh, and um, I wanted to take a youth group to go up and do a vacation Bible school. The only problem was, uh, it was in Colorado, the only problem was it was going to be working with a Presbyterian church. And uh, he was like totally against that. He said they would just cause problems. And um, I don't... Um, I don't necessarily agree with him, but I but I tell that story to point out the idea that um, we tr traditionally conservatives uh, and uh, specifically, my tradition, my understanding, my um, uh, tradition of, of being raised in the church has kind of distanced ourselves from any other kind of Christianity, any other denomination, and we've said no. Um, we have the truth, and, and we're really skeptical. We're really suspicious that any, anybody else might have anything close to the truth. Um, so that's, that's my background. So when I say, hey, I'm going to talk to conservatives, and I'm going to speak to those people, that's, I'm coming from that. Um, I'm not coming from the outside looking in. I'm coming from the inside and just trying to bring some light and some maybe some fresh air into what it means to be both conservative and Christian, because there are two different things, um, which is a uh, maybe a revelation for a lot of contemporary conservatives, um, that, that Republican is not the same as Christian, um, that there are lots of people who are Republican, yet they don't know God, they don't have any respect for God, they don't follow God, and there are lots of Christians who are Republicans who do. Um, that, that, um, on the flip side of that, that there are Democrats who don't know God, uh, who don't respect God, who have nothing to do with God. But then there are those Democrats who you may even say, well, they're kind of liberal or they are liberal or they're something other that, but they know Jesus and they, they do their best to follow Jesus. Even if they don't come to the same political conclusions that you do, they're out there. 
Um, I, I think it would be a mistake, and it is a mistake for us to assume that God is only working in an R1 specific denomination and that we have the corner on truth. And yet sometimes we, we really we, we, we live that way. Um, it's, it's pretty crazy uh, when you think about it that we would, would think that God is only working in this even though it's a very large denomination, you know, I grew up, Southern Baptist Church, pretty huge, but but that's not the only place that God is working, and to, to even act like it is, because we have it all figured out, is is just wrong. Um, and so, um, so, so here's, here's what I want to say to my fellow friends that are conservatives, um, and to my, and some of my friends, and I don't have a ton, I mean, that's, let's start there. I don't have a ton of friends who would be 100% liberal, but I do have some. And to them, I would say the same thing, is that God is not political. Um, now, we use God in politics, but God himself is, is not political. He, I mean, here's the thing. Here's, here's what the Bible tells us. I mean, it tells us that God is in charge of who our rulers are. Which then we go, yeah, okay, God is political, but but not in the sense that we we think. I, I think because um, it, over the overarching of the whole arc of history, God has placed both good and bad leaders. Um, God has placed good leaders and He's placed bad leaders, and and in the the opportunity for us as followers of that follow Jesus is how do we live our life in reflection of who God is and who Jesus is, whether the ruler is good, whether the ruler is bad. You know, there there was uh, quite um, a bit of consternation amongst conservatives when Obama was president, and 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 then when Trump became president, they were like, "Oh yes, God has moved, and He has put Trump in." And then, of course, liberals on the other side would be like, "Oh, Obama, yes, God has moved. We have uh, Obama." And then when Trump became president, they'd be like, "Oh no." And and on both sides, it's the fact is is that God is not as concerned about that politics, uh, that that's being right or wrong, being on the left or right, as we are. But but even more so, um, I think we have to look into the. If you want, you're like, okay, but what does Jesus say, uh, or what does Jesus do with these kind of um, situations where there are people on both ends on the spectrum they're both they're 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 so far away from each other and i think there's there's two things there's a story i want to talk about and then there's also uh, two stories i want to talk about and then there's also some scripture i want to read and so i'm just uh not going to read the, the two stories um out of, uh, but i am so i'm going to tell them but they are from the bible um i'll put some references later um so the first one is the fact that uh, that Jesus goes and talks to the woman at the well. So one thing to understand about Jesus going to talk to the woman at the well is that Jesus was in Samaria. And Samaria was um, the the land, they were, it was the land that was the former um, family members, tribe members that made up the nation of Israel, both Samaria and uh, Judah. Uh, and so, and then there was other brothers in there, but, but they used to be one land. They used to be one nation. The northern kingdom was Samaria, the, the, that what, what became known as Samaria. The southern kingdom is Judah. That's a really basic understanding of that. Just, just 
because there's a lot more history into that, but not going to go into all of that. Because the point is that by the time Jesus is on the earth, the Jews, those who were living in Judah, hated the Samaritans. Um, they hated them because they were the, their brothers and they felt like that they, they were their family. They were their, they were their ancestors together. They were followers of God together. And then the northern kingdom lost its way, left um, following God, and um, the southern kingdom stayed more faithful. And so uh, by the time Jesus is on the earth, the southern kingdom, the Jews, those of Judah, wanted nothing to do with those of the northern kingdom. Um, it, it was said that a good Jew, instead of going straight from the southern kingdom to the, to the northern part of um, past passed up into the top of Israel, um, they would go around. It would be a, a longer journey, but they wouldn't walk through Samaria because of that. The fact that there were people who used to be in their their uh, in the group, um, but then they said, "No, you can't be because you you know they, you lost your way. You don't you follow false gods. You don't follow the one true God." And and so Jesus, here he goes. He's he, he's walking through and they're like do you want to go around and he's like no we're going straight through and he ends up at a, at a well and he ends up talking to a samaritan woman why is this important why 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 is this story important i think at least at the at the very least there's a lot of things that happen here a lot of things that happen with a samaritan woman but for my purposes of what what we want to talk about today the very least is this is that jesus understood that the Israelites that that they had split, that the Jews had basically not only had they declared the Samaritans their enemy, but but even more so, they just they even tried to behave as if they didn't exist. Oh, we don't we don't go through that country. We don't interact with that person. Um, if you remember the the story about who who's my neighbor, Jesus says who's my you know who's my neighbor, and the the lawyer is like I don't know. You, you tell me. And so he tells a story, and he tells a story about how the priest and the Levite, they, they walked past, but the Samaritan, again, Jesus is like, hey, you remember that those people, that, that people group, that country, those guys, the good Samaritan is the one that stops and helps. He's the hero of the story. It would be the same as if he was talking to a, a group of conservatives, and he would be like, oh, you know, the good liberal, uh, or the same as if he was talking with a group of liberals and be like, oh, the good conservative. And, and because it was a challenging thing, um, because we are so, so adept, we're so good at, at separating ourselves out, about building walls between ourselves, about, about forcing people away. Um, and Jesus was so good about pulling people in. This, the second story is not really a story, but it's more about just the fact that who Jesus called to be his followers. Um, there's two in particular that would have been on opposite ends of the political spectrum. There was uh, a zealot, and there was a tax collector. And the, t- the twelve disciples, the twelve apostles, there was a zealot, and there was a tax collector. And the reason that this is important is that zealots hated Rome because they were zealous for the kingdom. They wanted to see the kingdom of Judah restored. Um, they wanted to kick Rome out. They wanted a military victory. They often, they would, they would often, they were zealots because they were, they were, um, they would spend all of their energy and time and their life even 
trying to make that happen. They were they were they were the ones that would lead the rebellion. They were the ones that would um, stir up people, and so so he politically. Um, the zealots hated the tax collectors because the tax collectors were seen as the people who helped Rome. That that uh, because when the tax collector collected taxes, they would pass that money on to Rome. They would take they would take from the the um, God's people, the citizens, and and then they would take that money and they would make sure that it got to Rome, and that was their responsibility. And so so you couldn't have put two more opposite um, political spectrums together. And yet Jesus calls both of them and, and they travel together. It didn't it didn't mean that they suddenly changed their political beliefs. I mean the zealots the zealot probably still not a fan of tax collectors and Matthew the tax collector probably wasn't too keen on zealots um, because Matthew he's just doing his job he's just trying to, to you know make money for his family and and uh, it just happens to be that the, that it's tax collecting and the zealot is like yeah I'm I'm here because I'm I I, I you know my passion is is getting Rome out I want to I want to see uh, our we want I want to be an independent nation again Jesus brings them together and they become something more. They're, they're no longer just a zealot and a tax collector, but now they're followers of Jesus. It would have been hard to imagine, unless, unless you just see it, unless you just experienced it through Jesus, that that could be possible. And yet, here it was. Followers of Jesus first. It doesn't mean that they give up. I, I, it doesn't say that the zealot was like, yeah, I don't want to see Jesus. Like, I mean, I think even up until the point that Jesus was on the cross, many of his disciples believed that Jesus was going to be a military victory. He was going to be a victor. He was going to be. He was going to kick the Romans out. And then, and then he was crucified and he rose again. And there was a victory, but the victory was over the kingdom of death and not the kingdom that was on earth. And they had to adjust their understanding of who Jesus was. But, it, but, but they also the the zealot was also able to love Matthew, to be a brother, to be a disciple. I, I don't know. Um, I imagine what if when Jesus sends them out two by two, he says, hey, hey, you, you guys, you're the zealot and the tax collector. You go out and you tell people that the kingdom of God is here. I mean, what a testimony that would be. That the former enemies turning together to work. In our culture, we've made it too easy to simply disregard people who don't think or believe like us, politically or otherwise. We've said, not. I think beyond even saying that that, that person is my enemy, we've just said that person doesn't exist. They don't. They don't matter. Um, we disregard them. We we were able to deride them. We're able to be derisive about them. We're able to be cynical and and, and we're able to be sarcastic. And we're able to be like, oh, um, you know. Um, I mean, I mean, I have concrete examples. Um, I I the, sometimes in the circles I run in, um, you know, they'll say like, oh, Joe Biden. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we don't know who he is or who he what God he follows, and yet. I don't know the man, and I don't know. I can't verify his heart. I know that he is is a Catholic who prays to God. Is he a Jesus follower? I don't know. But I would, I'd be very, very hesitant to declare 
that he wasn't. Um, I'd be very hesitant to determine the salvation status of anybody. I'd be very hesitant to determine just because someone is belongs to a different denomination that they that to to just be suspicious that the light of Jesus is even in that denomination. I I think it's the opposite. I'm suspicious that Jesus is moving in more places than we ever imagined because God is bigger and greater than we could ever imagine. And so we've we've created a culture that's just like we can write off those people who are liberal or different from us. And the same thing. I I mean I I know that those who are liberal would just feel the same way. They're like, oh, those conservatives, oh yeah, they're just, um, they're they're just they're just uneducated or hard-hearted or they and we, and they get written off. And so instead of having this this idea of what Jesus has, which is this whole family of believers that comes together and all of us being uh, in common, the thing we have in common being that we follow Jesus, we we say, no, no, you're not like me. Away. And so Jesus has this teaching that I think is very important for us to hold on to. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm thinking about this idea today. I'm thinking about a new mind. Um, it's a new year, new mind. And this is what it says. It says, you have heard the law. This is uh, Matthew 5, verse 43. It says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of, the, of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Man, the way that we get around this in our modern culture is that we don't consider people our enemy because we don't even consider them. We just we, we put them kind of below a level of our consideration. Like like a liberal person is not an enemy to a, to a uh, conservative person. They're just not worthy of my time. And so we're like, yeah, I I don't have an enemy, or I I I don't I don't have to think about this. But Jesus says this. He says. He, he's not saying, don't love your neighbor, love your enemy. He says, love your neighbor, love your enemy. And, and the truth is, is that most of our neighbors, um, most of our neighbors are not our enemies, but those people who we feel like are opposed to us politically or um, any other op- opposition that we'd say, yeah, those are my enemies. God's like, love them. Um, and, and here's what I'd have to say. Here's what I'd have to say. It's hard to love somebody that you're not in community with. Um, almost impossible. Because love is not a feeling. Um, it's, it's an action. It's a way of life. And so when we, if, when we say, I have no community with those people, I mean, we, come, we become a little bit like the Jews and the Samaritans. Right? We say, oh... Those people, they just they've they've gone off the deep end. I have no commonality with them. I have no community with them. They are not part of my world, except maybe to make fun of or to 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 laugh at together with other conservatives or other liberals to gather and be like, oh, those those guys. And Jesus says, no, you 
love your enemy, but you can't love somebody who's not in your community. It's just, it's just not possible. Because love is more than having positive feelings for and praying for, but it is this, it's, it's the very way that you act towards them. And so you can't say that you love God and, not, and, and behave in such a way that shows you don't. You can't say that you love your neighbor and behave in a way, such a way that says you don't. And, and so you can't even say that you love someone without being in community with them. So here's, here's the challenge. Here, here's, here's the takeaway. We've, we've taught ourselves to separate ourselves and become and just live in what I call what's, what's called echo chambers, which is just surround you yourself with people who think like you, who act like you, who believe like you. Because it's easy, it's comfortable, it's safe. But Jesus challenges us. And he's like, do you have enemies? Do you have neighbors? Do you have people that, that you're... you're wouldn't consider an, an enemy because you don't even know, but you, you label them and so you separate them out and you say, I have no community with that person and Jesus says, love them. Why? Why do we have to love our enemy? And, and here's the deal. Because many times our enemy is not really our enemy. They are our neighbor. And, and we have that we need to not only be we need to have that community with our neighbors but here's the other thing if that person doesn't know who jesus is and you say hey i, I can't be in community with you i don't know you like you go away you believe wrong you different you believe wrong and you believe different from me how will they hear about jesus how will they know who who will tell them in romans right it's like who will go how will they find out when we reject people because they don't believe like us, because they aren't like us, when we say we can't be in community with them, how, how will they learn about who Jesus is? Love your enemies. Pray for them. Pray for the people who persecute you. I mean, what a, what a change in, a, in heart that, that God can give us that we could pray for those that persecute. Not pray that, that God would be like, I mean, not like the psalm prayer where it's like, God, destroy my enemies. That's not what Jesus is saying either. He's like, pray, live, pray in such a way that you pray for blessing for the people that persecute you. It's so countercultural. That's what Jesus does. Is he's like, I've changed your heart. Find the people who persecute, who you, who you feel like persecute you. Maybe they're not even persecuting, but you feel like they are. Or who you feel like is your enemy. Find out how to love them. Find out how to pray for them. And then I, what I think that you will find, more often than not, is that they're your neighbor. And that they could be your friend. That you have more in common than you have not in common. That you can agree on things. There'll be some things that you don't agree on. But you'll find people out there who you would swear up and down because of what you, because of what you thought they represented. Because you didn't know them, you just thought about thought about them. You thought they fit into a certain category. You labeled them. You'll find that they are your friends. They're they're your people too. Because we need 
more common grounds and middle grounds and we need to walk the unbroken ground because we don't need more insular so we don't need to to fortify ourselves up so that nobody can come into the kingdom that's not our job we're, we're to follow after jesus and you know what jesus jesus walked around and said the kingdom of heaven is here pro pro proclaiming it which is what we're called to do too and we do that by following Jesus. And this is what Jesus teaches us. Love your enemies. Pray for them. And remember that love is not just a feeling or something we can force ourselves. Oh, yeah, 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 I love them. No. How do you act in such a way that shows that you love them? It's a, it's a hard place. It's a hard challenge. But that's the journey we're on. That's what God calls us to. So... What are some things you can do? Um, start thinking about it. Like, start asking God right now. God, who is it that you want me? I, there's someone in my life that I've written off because they, they don't believe like me or they said some things or they, um, they're they just not, they, they're not as conservative as I thought they would or should be or they're not as liberal as I thought they should. Who is it that I need to reach out to and love? Or, or maybe you just need to say, God, can you put somebody in my path that's going to challenge me so that I can grow in this? I mean, pray for it. God, I want to I wanna know. I want to know what it means to love an enemy. I want to know what it means to pray for someone that persecutes me. I want to be stretched beyond just the comfortable, normal life that I have. Those are prayers that God will answer. Why? Because he wants to see people... He wants to see people invited into his kingdom, and he wants to see his name, his, his good name proclaimed. So there you have it. Maybe, maybe there's some other things that have spoken to you, some other things that have, that have, that have touched your heart. Um, hopefully it's, it's something that you um, can get behind. And, and also, if you, if you have an experience or if you, you do it and you say, hey, this has happened, hey, come, come join our Facebook group and tell us about it. Send me an email. Um, put, it on, put it on the Instagram. Um, this is how God is moving because I know that he is, even if we don't see it. Like, like my, suspicious is, my suspicion is it's not that God is in less places, but that he's in more that he's in more people's hearts than we could ever imagine, and that he's working in so many ways that we, we, would, we would limit him, and God says, you can't limit me. All right. Well, thank you, friends, for, for listening. Um, I hope that you have uh, an, an amazing week um, and that you, you see how you can bless both those whom you consider friends and those whom you consider enemies. May you love as Jesus calls you to do.